I'm sure you have plans. I have plans. Joseph had plans. Mary had plans. The shepherds had plans. But so did the Lord God. The Lord God had a plan that had been laid since the foundation of the world had been set. A plan of hope. A plan of peace. A plan of security and provision. It was a plan of salvation. And Ephesians 1 helps us to see God's big picture of that plan of salvation. Everything that, Christ was going, that God was going to accomplish through his son, Jesus Christ. The Lord is accomplishing something through Christ. Something glorious. Something far greater than we could ever ask, hope, or imagine. From Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 through 14. Reading in Jesus' name. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Father God, these are your words, and your word is true. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here tonight. God, help us to see all of the many things that you have done for us in Christ. Lord, help us to see your plan of salvation in Jesus, the child who was born so many years ago. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's plan is greater than us. Greater than any one of us, greater than all of us. And God's plan is also great for us. It's good for us to remind ourselves of that. Because oftentimes, the plans that we set are pretty great, aren't they? they? At least, we think they are. And when they're interrupted, we tell ourselves, well, that's not so great. It's not how I imagined. Tonight, I want to invite you into God's plan that plan that was set before the foundation of the earth was laid. From the very beginning, God desired to dwell with his people. And that relationship was destroyed in the garden by sin. However, in God's first interactions with Adam and Eve after their fall into sin, he promises them a savior. To use a familiar tagline, he knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. God knows the heart of man. He knows the heart of you as well. He knows that you and I aren't able to live the way that he has called us to live or that he demands that we live. 
He knows that Adam and Eve weren't able to do that either. And so he has had a plan from the beginning of time to deal with that. It's a constant battle for us. But his plan of a Savior covers that in our place. Thumbing through the pages of history, that promised Savior begins to take more and more shape. And we can see how this promise becomes a vague promise, the seed of the woman, to take shape to the things that we have heard tonight. This child would be born in Bethlehem. This child would be born of a virgin. This child would be the prince of peace from the line of David, stemming from Jesse's family. He revealed himself as the God who saves and the God who cleanses from sin and the flood. He is a God who directs, a God who leads and blesses. We learn that from the account of Abram. He is a God who provides life and hope and provides a sacrifice. He is a God who establishes a covenant with his people and keeps that covenant, even though you and I so often tend to break that covenant. He is a God who can redeem the plans of man intended for evil by turning them out for good. He is a God who hears the cries of his people, the God who listens, and the God who responds and he acts. He is a God who calls a people to himself in order that they would be a kingdom of priests, that they would be holy and righteous, rightly related to God. He established his presence once again with his people, knowing that one day all the boundaries that were set in place would be removed, and he would dwell as he has always desired to dwell with his people, unmediated, unshielded, in the fullness of his glory. And when his, disciples de- or when his people demanded a king to be like the other nations, he provided a king for them, having already planned to provide the king of kings, and promised a Savior from that line of David. Promising a kingdom that stretched beyond any earthly political borders. A kingdom where there is righteousness, where there is peace, where there is hope and salvation. He would be the mighty God and the Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of His government. That child to be born will be born of a virgin, descendant of David, born in the city of David, born in Bethlehem. The child to be born would be the son of the Most High, the inheritor of the throne of David, and he would reign forever. When the angel greeted Mary with that news, Mary is at first confused, asking the angel, how can this be? This doesn't make sense. I I haven't known a man. I'm a virgin. I can't have a child. But the angel tells her, the Spirit of the Lord God will come upon you, and you will be with child, and he will be the Savior. She acknowledges that she is a bondslave of the Lord. Joseph, too, is also confused by this information. As you can imagine, your fiancé comes up to you and says, I'm having a kid, but don't worry, I haven't done anything. Who's going to believe that message? And Joseph had planned to divorce her quietly, to break off that engagement, to kind of save his face and save her face. The angel tells her, no, Joseph, don't do that. Mary's telling you the truth. This is the child of the Most High. She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph began to understand the significance of this moment then. The angel tells him who the baby is. And Joseph and Mary had that unenviable task of trying to convince people that their child 
is conceived of the Holy Spirit and is of God, not as a result of their sin. Again, who's going to believe that message? They would forever live with that reputation for the rest of their lives. And this was the Lord's plan. It didn't make sense. I'm sure it didn't make sense to Mary. It didn't make sense to Joseph at that time. They had their plans. It didn't make sense to the shepherds when they were just trying to watch their flocks. And God's plan oftentimes doesn't make sense to you and me either when his plan comes and interrupts our own plans and our own lives. Yet this was the Lord's plan. It doesn't make sense to anybody else, but it is exactly how God had revealed it to be in the Old Testament. It was miraculous. The Christ child was born, and news of it shattered the silent night where the shepherds were watching their flocks. And the angels proclaimed that message, a Savior has been born. And the angels don't stop there. No, they continue, an angel, the Savior has been born for you. Yes, you grungy, smelly shepherds who have to spend the night under the stars in the fields. The Savior is born for you and for all mankind. And so what do the shepherds do? Talk amongst themselves and say, hey, let's go check this Savior out. And they go straight to the manger and they meet this Savior face to face. Their plans were interrupted, but immediately they went to see this child and this wondrous thing that God has done. And through, and though the full realization of what this child would do still remained much a mystery for them, as they went and they saw Mary and Joseph and this tiny little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, something shepherds would have been very familiar with. And as they see Jesus, they're looking there into the eyes of their Savior, the eyes of Almighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And they beheld his glory. And a new era had arrived. God was no longer a distant deity. God was no longer someone that they had to go to the temple to worship and, the, and that was it. They could only go so far, but they were separated from him. No, God had come into their world. And there is no dignity anymore. Christ was born of a virgin, a tiny, helpless babe, clothed in flesh. He had become one of us. And it was all a part of God's plan, his plan from the beginning of the world, that all who believed in this child who received him would be holy and blameless. Again, that doesn't make sense to us, does it? Who among us here tonight has the courage to say that I am holy and blameless? I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about yourselves. I don't have that. But God in Christ Jesus is making us holy and blameless in Christ. And that just as much as Christ was a son of Mary, that we too could be sons of God through Jesus Christ. And that that blood flowing through those tiny infant veins would one day be the means by which you and I are saved. It would be poured out as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it would be the basis for our being holy and blameless, not our works, not our efforts, not our desires or intentions, but that precious blood of that baby boy born in Bethlehem. And how this all makes sense, how this all works out, how God's choosing us from the foundation of the world is, in a certain sense, a mystery for us. We aren't given every detail. It's not for us to know. Frankly, we don't need to know every detail. 
but we are given everything that we need. And what we need to know has been revealed for us in Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate and remember his birth tonight, we remind ourselves of this mystery, this thing that would have been ultimately unknowable for us unless God had entered into human history to make it happen, unless God had revealed it to us. And as we reflect on the birth of Christ this Christmas, take a moment to reflect on Christ's big picture, his plan of salvation for all mankind. And as we think of his plan of salvation for all mankind, his plan of salvation for you. Christmas isn't a holiday only for Christians. It's a holiday for us to be reminded that God's glory has been revealed. That God cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about the people here in this world. That God's plan of salvation, that his love, his redemption, his forgiveness, that the riches of his grace have been lavished on all mankind. It's more than the warm fuzzies and the good feelings that we get from watching a Hallmark video. It's more than just a mere sentiment as well. But his salvation, his love, his redemption, his forgiveness, his grace took on flesh. It became tangible. It was something that people were able to see, something that people were able to feel, something that people were able to hold and rock. And that's what the shepherds saw that night. That's what Mary saw and Joseph saw. And eventually when they got there, the wise men saw it as well. And everybody else who saw Christ growing up, as they looked at Jesus, they saw the face of God. This is the birth that we remember and we celebrate tonight. As we come together tonight to remember it, we come together tonight to remember because this birth has been born for you. This birth is part of God's plan of salvation for you. This child is your peace. This child is your king. This child is your forgiveness. This child is your redeemer. This child is your inheritance. This child is grace and peace to you from God our Father. This child is your Savior. As we go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1 and see all of the different times that Paul writes and says all of the things that we have received because of Christ, all of these things are ours in Him. We have an inheritance. We have a Father. We have a home. We have salvation. We are holy. We are blameless because of Christ and what He has done. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of that promise. And we look forward to Christ fulfilling that promise as we prepare now for Easter and remember what Christ did for us on the cross. And as we look ahead towards Christ's second coming as well, as he will come to rid us of all sin and of all evil and take us home to be with him. As John writes, Christ came so that as many as have received him, whether you're a shepherd, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a king, whether you're parents, whether you're engaged, whether you're single, whether you're sorrowful, whether you're mourning, wherever you might be tonight, Christ came so that as many as have received him, whoever you are, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And it was for this reason the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Praise be to God.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this gift, this gift of your Son, our Savior. Jesus, thank you for being willing to leave the comforts of heaven to be born a child as we are born. Lord, to experience all of the things that we experience here in this life in order that we might be redeemed, in order that, Lord, you might prepare a way of salvation for us. Father, help us this Christmas season to look again to you, to find comfort in you, and to rest in the gift, the precious gift of your Son and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.